What I want to tell you guys is this. Um, this schedule that we've been on for the sermons, preaching out of Isaiah, has been in place for months and for months and for months. I didn't manipulate any schedules. This is the way things have worked out. About a week ago, I heard a song on the radio in the eye of the storm, and I contacted Craig, and I said, Craig, I want that to be the opening song for our worship service on Sunday, the 14th of August. And so he made that happen. Uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, Tuesday or Monday of last week, uh, the worship team put together all the songs that we were going to be singing today. Um, and then all of that was in place. The sermon, uh, the, the sermon schedule, the song for the opening service, and then um, the songs that we picked for the worship team. And none of it was coordinated. And then Wednesday night, early Thursday morning, my wife's brother died. And my world went crashing. And it has been a nightmare, craziness, out of control world that I've been in. And I didn't schedule any of this to coordinate together, but God, my Father, knew. And He had my heart already preparing for what I was going through. And the words that I'm about to share with you this morning are not just my story. I truly believe that my testimony is going to be blessing to somebody else and help them as they walk whatever path they have. But we are looking at Isaiah chapter 26 this morning. And I was uh, doing study at 5 o'clock this morning because that was the earliest I could get into my office this week. But I was reading out of this one. I, had, I, I, I have about eight different commentaries on my desk. And I asked the Lord which one he wanted me to read from. And he said, read the Watts book. And I honestly said, can you give me another choice, please, God? I hate this book. He said, no, I want you to read that one. But God, really? Yes, read it, Bob. Ah, okay. Really and truly, I hate this book. But it is a, it's one of the ones when I was in Bible college that the professor who was teaching biblical exegesis, that's when you look at the scriptures and find out what it means, he said in the library, he was showing us the different commentaries, he said, this one you're going to love, this one you're going to love, this one you're going to hate. And he said, buy it anyway. Because what it's going to do is going to force you to think. It's going to force you to read through things that you don't necessarily agree with, but it's going to iron sharpen iron challenge you. Read this. And so this morning, God directed me to this book. And what was so cool was as I began to read it, what had been obscure to me became clear in my mind. I had been reading through Isaiah chapter 26 in the New International Version, in the English Standard Version, in the complete Jewish Bible, and it was just like I was reading just gobbledygook. It wasn't making sense to me. It just wasn't working. And then I opened up this book written by John Watts, and I read his translation of Isaiah 26, and all of a sudden... A light came on for me. So I want you guys to follow along. The way you can understand how this is, where, how this is uh, in the left-hand column of the page that's in front of you, you'll see the voices of the people who are speaking. Now, a little bit of background so you'll understand what we're doing here. As I told you a couple of weeks ago, the section of Isaiah that we're in is actually called the Apocalypse or the apocalyptic uh, section. It is Isaiah chapter 20, 
4, 25, 26, and 27. These four chapters are taking a step back from what was talking about the, 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 all the bad stuff that was going on. And all of a sudden, it's talking about the end times. Talking about the days of the Messiah. Talking about when God's people will rise up again and be, you be ruling with the Lord. And last week, if you remember, Isaiah 25 was talking about, it was, it was like this song of praise that came up because of what God was going to do in the end times. Well, this, this song is also a song of praise, but the way it's formatted, and this is why it didn't make sense to me, the way it's formatted is imagining there's a group of people caravanning from their hometown in Nazareth or someplace, and they're heading to Jerusalem for a, a great celebration of God and, and, and sacrifices to God and just have a wonderful time celebrating with God. And so this group of people are caravanning together and they're singing a song. And that's what this chapter, Isaiah 26, is. It's this group singing a song. So in the left-hand column, you'll see there's the narrator, there's the chorus, which is everybody, there's the speaker, the first echo, the second echo, the third echo, and then that's it. If you go through the whole thing until you get to the right-hand column, halfway down, you'll see where it says chorus, then first group, second group, third group, and then YHWH. And for those of you who are not familiar with that, YHWH is called the tetragram. Tetragram. I can't say the word. It is the four-letter designation in Hebrew that stands for God's name. In, in in our vernacular, we would say Jehovah or we would say Yahweh. In Hebrew, they don't even pronounce it. It's too holy. They won't pronounce it. But those are the letters that they use. So what this is saying here in verse 19, so you see that column that says Yahweh is the one speaking. So this is God speaking. And then there's a herald. Hark the herald angels sing kind of thing. So there's this herald who is accompanying God on this trip. And God and the herald are speaking at the very end of this song. So now understanding that it's multiple voices speaking, let's look at what this verse, what this chapter says. So we're going to just read all the way through all, all 21 verses. In that day, says the narrator, this song is sung in the land of Judah. The chorus begins singing. We have a strong city. It gives structure to salvation with walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that a righteous nation may enter. Observing faithful deeds from a dependent attitude, you form peace. Peace when one's confidence is in you. Trust in Yahweh on and on. For in Yah, Yahweh, there is a rock for ages to come. The first speaker says, Indeed, he has humbled those living in the height. The echo says, he makes the lofty city fall. He makes it fall to earth. He makes it even touch the dust. A foot tramples it. Feet of one oppressed. Steps of poor ones. The way, a way for the righteous is on level places. You smooth level the path of the righteous. Surely, in the way of your judgments, Yahweh, we wait on you. For your name and your memorial are the desire of our soul. My soul, I wait for you in the night. Surely by my spirit within me I seek you. Indeed, 
When your judgments belong to the land, they teach righteousness to the world's inhabitants. A wicked one shows, shown mercy does not learn righteousness. In a land of honest persons, he does wrong. He has no fear of Yahweh's majesty. Yahweh, your hand is raised, but he doesn't envision it. Let them envision it, and let them be shamed by a people's zeal. Indeed, let fire reserved for your adversaries consume them. Yahweh, you provided peace for us, but also all your works you have performed for us. Yahweh, our God, masters other than yourself have owned us. But even when we were apart from you, we memorialized your name. <coughs> Dead do not live. Ghosts do not rise up. Truly, you decide their fate, and then you destroy them. Then you make all memory of them disappear. You have brought increase for the nations, O Yahweh. You have brought increase for the nation. You have gained it glory. You have extended all borders of land. Yahweh, in the time of distress, they sought to decide fate for you. They sought to deter by a whispered charm your chastening of him. As a pregnant woman who draws near to birthing writhes, cries out because of her birth pangs, so were we before you, Yahweh. We may have been pregnant. We may have writhed. Just the same, we will give birth to wind. As for deliverance, we will bring the land none. The world's population will not fall. Yahweh says, your dead will live. My corpses will rise. The herald says, awake and sing joyfully, you that live in dust. For the dew of lights will be your dew, and the land that will let fall the ghosts. Yahweh says, go, my people. Go into your rooms and shut your doors after you. Hide yourselves for a little while until wrath passes over. And the herald says, Indeed, look, Yahweh is going out of his place to punish the guilt of the land's population. The land will lay bare its violent crimes and will no longer cover up its murder victims. Now, it still is not real clear, because it's not like a story. It's not like there's this storyline going on, but if you can understand there's this interaction of conversation or, or, or actually calling out as they're walking a song, if you will, then you understand a little bit better why it was so disjointed. But if we look at this, the very first four verses, actually the first, uh, let's see, four, four to five verses, um, actually it might be all the way through six, it depends on who you read, it, 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 it's one section, and then they start talking about um, the fact that there's bad people in the world and that they don't listen to God and they're not paying attention. And then the, finally at the end, God says, this is something I need you to do. Okay, So I'm going to quickly, and we're not going to take a lot of time to do this, but I'm going to quickly look at some of these elements just to give us a better understanding of what's going on. So first of all, verses 1 through 4. In that day the song is sung in the land of Judah. This is that in that day, that's an expression that literally means about the time of the Messiah. In the day of God, in the day of the Messiah. So in that day, which we've seen in other chapters in Isaiah so far, we know that this song that's being sung is about the end times, the time when the Messiah is going to come. We have a strong city. It gives structure to salvation with walls and bulwarks. That's talking about, if you look back, and you don't have it here on this page, but if you were to look back one chapter to chapter 25, you would see in the very first few verses it talks about the destruction of the city of the enemies of God. And now it's talking about the people of God having a city 
that brings, uh, that is strong and provides salvation. And everyone is falling asleep. And it's not because you're doing anything wrong. It's because it's so hot in here. It's funny. From my perspective, you're all trying very hard not to yawn. Every single one of you. You're going. So let me get some air flowing in here. And we'll, uh, we'll make this work for us. All right. Got your attention again? All right. <laughs> but verse 4, 3 and 4. From a dependent attitude, you form peace. Peace, when one's confidence is in you. Trust in Yahweh, on and on. In Yah, Yahweh, there is a rock for ages to come. This is a statement of their faith, a statement of their belief that God has brought about their salvation. Because if you remember, these people went through the Babylonian exile. And this is after that, where they've come back into the land and where they're looking forward to this day when the Messiah will have rescued them from all of their enemies. But then, we're not going to take the time to look at this in the middle, but just understand in this middle section, they're talking back and forth, it's kind of like an argument going, the people of God are righteous, and the people of God are trusting God, and the people of God are in right relationship with God, but God has made himself known, and there's still people out there who refuse to acknowledge him. There's still people out there who refuse to have access to his life. There's still people out there who are still fighting against God, and this is ridiculous. And literally, at the end of this section, where Yahweh starts speaking, what he's saying to his people is, guys, I know you're heading to Jerusalem to celebrate and have this huge party, but I need you to go home. Because there's still a little bit more that has to take place before we can set up the final, fun, exciting rule of God. The Messiah's thousand-year rule. And so literally, Yahweh says in verse 20, Go, my people, Go into your rooms, shut your doors after you, hide yourselves for a little while until wrath passes over. And then the herald says to the people, Indeed, look, Yahweh is going out of his place to punish the guilt of the land's population. The land will lay bare its violent crimes and will no longer cover up its murder victims. And what's ta- what this is talking about is at the end times, there is going to come, and we've read this uh, in the last number of weeks, there's going to come a time where God is no longer going to tolerate the darkness and the evil that's in the world. And there's going to come about this, this battle for, for God's reign over the earth. And God is saying to his people, I need you to hold up. I need you to find a place of safety. Because it's going to be bad for a while. <laughs> but once it's done, and once it's over with, we're going to have a great party, and it's going to be amazing, and you're going to love it, and it's going to be super. But for this point in time, I need you to find this. Just trust me in this. Go find a place to be quiet and out of the way and out of public view. Just go to your homes and lock the doors. It's kind of like, if you think about the Exodus, when the people of God were in, is in Egypt... And they literally painted the blood of the sacrifice over their door frame. And God said, nobody step outside of the house until the angel of death passes over. And if they did, they were on their own. And they would die. But if they were within the protection of God's 
covering, they were safe. I read one of the com- one of the commentators I read this morning said, "Imagine that you're a warrior, and imagine that you are being pursued by a horde of enemies, and you're pretty much alone, and you see ahead of you a craggy rock kind of jutting out from this this rocky area." And you get into that craggy rock and you get yourself down into a crevice. And you can, you can still do battle from that crevice, but you are completely surrounded by this strong rock. So your enemies can't come up from behind, they can't come up from above, they can't come up from below. They can only do a frontal attack, and that frontal attack you can defend yourself with. They said, that's this idea of going to my protection Stay in your homes while I do what I have to do with the world that's, that's, that's still in rebellion against me. And I will keep you safe. I will be. Look at verse 4. It says, There is a rock for ages to come. Trust in Yahweh on and on. That's this idea of hiding in the rock. Remember we talked last week in my sermon about being in the lee of the stone? You know, there's all the horrors going on around, but if you're protected by the stone, if you submitted yourself to God and allowed Jesus to be your Lord, and you, He's got your back, and He will protect you. That's what this is saying. There's going to come a time, folks. That's just what, this is what this, this, this prophetic song is talking about. There's going to come a time in the end where God is going to pour out His wrath on the people of the earth who refuse to submit to Him. And we've read about it in Revelations, you've read about it in Daniel, we've read about it in Ezekiel, and the reality is that it's, <coughs> excuse me, that it's going to happen, but there's no guarantee that you're going to be safe through it unless you're protected by God and submitted to God and under Him. And the thing that was so cool, and this is, this is what I wanted to spend the last few minutes looking at, as I was understanding all of this and thinking about and reflecting on this being in the crevice, being in the protection of God and, and trusting in Him, there is this verse 3 that just gripped my soul. Does somebody have chapter 26 already out? Not the paper that I handed you, but chapter 26 already out, and if you could read chapter, verse 3 loud enough for everyone to hear. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. All whose thoughts are fixed on you. God, you, will keep in perfect peace all whose... Who trust in you. you. Okay? All whose thoughts are fixed on you. All whose thoughts are fixed on you. God, the, the, I, I, I memorized this in the, in, the, in, the New King, I mean, in the King James. Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Okay? And the thing that I had been reflecting on for weeks, because I knew that I was going to be preaching on this idea of peace, and I've been wondering and thinking about and chewing on what is perfect peace. And then as I was studying this morning, again that came back to me. What is this perfect peace? The promise is, if we keep our minds stayed on God, if we put our trust in God, He will provide for us perfect peace. So I went into the Hebrew and looked to see what this perfect peace was. And you know what the word is? It's actually two words. Shalom, shalom. That's what perfect peace is. It's, well, 
if you don't understand what shalom is, because some of us may not know, shalom is the Hebrew word that means peace. Duh. But it also has a deeper, richer, fuller meaning than just peace. It means completely whole, completely at rest, completely satisfied. I hesitated to share this with you, but it's the only way that I can fully understand for myself and then express it to you in a way that makes sense. So I'm being a little bit vulnerable, but let me just express it to you. Bob Sugden, as a human being, has a very active gut. As a matter of fact, when I was reading, I wasn't going to go into any depth of this, but when I was reading this, it talked about we are writhing in pain like a woman that's pregnant and all we produce is wind. Think about what they're saying there. Okay? I'm ah, contracting. I'm going to bring forth life. Okay? Well, some of us who understand gut issues, I, I won't make any names, but you can look at yourself in the mirror. Um, you understand what I'm talking about when I say I can be sitting perfectly still from the outside. And I cannot have, I could be in a situation where I don't have anything going on in my heart or my mind that's distressing me, but I can be in complete turmoil. And you'll never know it. But literally, my gut is just doing this. And there's just movement, and there's, angst. There's, there's, there's sometimes pain, there's sometimes just discomfort. And then, something happens. I go into a little room, I sit down for a few minutes, then I leave that room, and I go back to the chair where I was sitting, and I recognize I am in complete peace. There is no turmoil. There is no rumbling and grumbling and twisting and fretting and I am relaxed. Perfect peace. Now, yeah, that's gross, Pastor. Tell me you don't know what I'm talking about, people. Is that a good way to describe perfect peace? Now, it's not holy and spiritual and stuff, but for me, that gives me something visceral that I can hold on to. I can remember years ago when we lived in Mississippi, we had a pastor who was in his 60s and his mother-in-law was in her 80s, and she was a widow, and she literally moved every six or eight months to another child's home. And she stayed in their homes. That's how she lived her life. And one Sunday night, we had testimony time in this little church in Gulfport, Mississippi. And I don't remember her name, but this dear saint was sitting just literally in front of me. And she stood up, 80-some years old, and she said, I just want to praise God because for this past week I had been without pain. And I said, that doesn't make no sense to me at all. And I was 25 or 26 years old. But this 80-year-old woman was testifying, thank God I have spent a week without pain. Well, I'm 57 years old now. And I understand what she meant. Because there are days when I don't go without pain. And when I do experience a day without pain, there's this rest that comes over me. So now let's, you've got these two images, okay? You've got this roiling, roiling gut, and you've got this physical pain, discomfort, 
that never lets you find rest or peace. Bring that into the spirit. Okay? I am struggling. I am frustrated. I am anxious. I am worried. I am concerned. I have a child that's this. I have a wife who's in Texas right now whose, husband, whose brother just died and I can't be there with her because I have other things I have to do. But at the same time, I want to be here. There's all of this. I'm in perfect physical peace. But I'm not at peace in here. And you know, I didn't even realize it. Because we get a... Let me be just visceral and gross again. Okay? My wife has already gone to bed. It's midnight on Wednesday. We already know that her brother is distressed. We know he's in ICU. We've been called and asked to please be in prayer. They're not sure if he's going to survive. And then my wife gets in bed and she's just laying there texting uh, her, her niece or nephew, trying to find out how Gary's doing. She, we've made phone calls back and forth to various people. Um, even Gary's uh, worship pastor called because the family just was overwhelmed and he was calling and letting relatives know, listen, this is possibly the end. So I'm in the bathroom. It's midnight. I'm getting ready for bed. and I go into a little room and I sit down for a little bit. And... You know, i got to do something while I'm there to distract myself, so I'm watching a YouTube video. And all of a sudden, I hear my wife's phone ring. And I run to her side. And from that moment until last night at 8.30, I was on go. I gotta get my wife a ticket, I gotta get my wife out of here, I gotta get my house clean, I got my family coming, I gotta get this going, I gotta get my grandson taken care of. Do you know my grandson almost drank poison on Friday because we accidentally let him have a, access to a bottle because we were so focused on everything else and he actually picked up a bottle of soft scrub with bleach and went like this? And thank God he didn't get harmed? But it's just been that kind of a three or four day thing for me. And last night at 8.30, as I'm pulling into the parking lot of the airport to pick up my family, and I'm so excited I'm getting to see them after all of these years, and Marie Fitz, my dear friend from North Pole, calls me and says, Bob, I just want to tell you that I'm sorry for your loss, and I'm praying for you and your family, and if there's anything I can do for you, I just wanted you to know I'm here for you. And I said, Marie, I thank you very much. And I appreciate you. And she had offered to let us use her vehicle while my family's here. We were talking about that. And as we were getting ready to close our conversation, because it was time for me to go in and get my family off the plane, she says five words. An interesting five words, she says to me. Can I pray for you? And when I allowed myself to find, stop, all of the stuff, and I finally allowed my soul to focus on my Father and my love for Jesus and just be real and allow another minister to minister to me, I was finally able to begin grieving. And we concluded our phone conversation. She hung up, and I sat and I wept in the parking lot. 
And then I had to get myself back because I don't want to do this to my family. <laughs> um, but then, again, get the people in the house don't drink the water because there's arsenic in it. Here's where you get this stuff. Here's it. Okay, see you in the morning. And then got up this morning and came over here because when am I supposed to read the Bible? So I got here. I, well, I got up at 5. I didn't get over until 7. Um, but I got in my office, and the very first thing was I got, I said, God, I'm sitting at my desk. And I was like, I don't want to read your word. I don't want to read these stupid commentaries. I just want you. And I no sooner said those words. And he washed over my soul with this peace. And I began weeping again. And it was healing and cleansing, and it was great. And then I went, i got to study, because I have to have something to say this morning. Um, and then I came up for worship team practice. Now, I'm sleep deprived. I'm grieving the death of a brother-in-law. My wife is not here. I'm very sad. And nothing is going right. The internet's not cooperating. The computer's not cooperating. Things we practiced on Wednesday night are not happening the way we planned. And I'm sitting right there in the pew in front of where Mary's sitting right now. And I'm like, I want to kill somebody. But I can't, because I'm the pastor. If I did, everyone would stop coming, and I wouldn't have a job anymore. So that would be a stupid move on your part, Bob. But I'm roiling right now. Oh, and it's not that anybody's doing anything wrong. It's just everything is not working. And I literally said, in the eye of the storm, I am focusing only on you, God. Bring peace. That worked the first time. As the hour progressed, because it was literally 9.30 before we ever got started singing, 30 minutes of every time the wave of anxiety, frustration, anger, garbage was trying to rise up in my spirit, it got to the point where I was literally just going, Jesus, 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 and each time, I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't doing anything. I was just going, My boat is about to get swamped, God. And I can't deal with this. Jesus. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace. A complete peace. A peace where the gut stops and rests. A peace where the anxiety is gone. A peace where there's physical rest from discomfort and pain. Whole, complete peace. In Philippians chapter 4 it says, Be anxious about nothing but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving make your requests known to God. And the peace that passes understanding, or the peace of Christ that passes understanding, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I experienced for myself God's perfect peace 
in the midst of my storm. And it is the only thing that is keeping me going right now. I want to just throw my hands up and run screaming. I want to just find a place where I can just bury myself in a hole and not come out. But what I can't, and I have to keep going, I can say, Jesus, and I can know that my transcendent yet imminent God hears and instantly responds. And that's what I wanted to share with you this morning. Yeah, Isaiah chapter 26 is pretty cool when you understand it. But what it's saying is a truth that we already know, but we need to be reminded of every so often. And that's, He has promised us He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will carry us through. He will get us through. When we aren't strong, He will be our strength. When we are needing a place of safety, my favorite verse in almost all of Scripture, Psalm 28, says, He is the strong and mighty tower, a place of safety and refuge. And the Hebrew of that, that's translated safety and refuge, is Yeshua Ma'uz. Jesus, the place of safety. If you look at Psalm, I mean Isaiah chapter 26, verse 2, it says, that the structure is the walls and bulwarks of salvation. That word salvation is Yeshua. The city is built to be a place of safety because it's Yeshua. That's Jesus. 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 He is the perfect peace. He is the Prince of Peace. And I wanted to share this with you as we close. In the dark of the midnight Have I haunted my face While the storm howls above me And there's no hiding place Mid the crash of the thunder Precious Lord, hear my cry Keep me safe Till the storm passes by, till the storm passes over, till the thunder sounds no more, till the clouds roll forever from the sky. Hold me fast, let me stand in the hollow of thy hand. Keep me safe. The storm passes by. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Prince of Peace, for providing me with perfect peace and being my place of safety. I love you with all of my heart.